Welcome to Autism, A New Perspective, the podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child, and we encourage you that growth for your child is possible. I'm Kat Lee, and in this week's podcast, Dr. Gutstein talks to us about a basic principle in RDI that leads to growth for your child. Let's listen in. And you are really working on dynamic intelligence from the very beginning. Um, as soon as parents are, are ready to begin, um, as soon as parents are ready to begin doing their work and are ready to begin to introduce simple dynamic invariant, uh, variants and simple dynamic environments and situations and activities to their kids. So um, what we start with is what we call simple dynamic and situations or simple dynamic systems. And let me just talk about then what we mean, what I mean by dynamic, because a lot of people really get confused by that term and don't know where it is. So um, dynamic really is sort of somewhere in the midst, if you think about it, in the middle of static on the one hand and chaotic on the other. So dynamic and static are not at opposite ends, okay? Dynamic's right in the middle. And it's really important to make that distinction because people really get confused. They start to think about, like, dynamic as, um, you know, anything goes or any kind of changes or, or you know, um, you know, just do anything. You know, it's basically creating randomness and chaos. And that is not what a dynamic intelligence is for. And that's not a dynamic situation. That's not what we're preparing children to deal with, a world of chaos. I mean, nobody's going to do well with that, right? So it's really important that we understand that. Um, so when, you know, the, the variability that we encounter in chaotic situations is random, right? It's completely unpredictable, um, either within a situation or between situations, between what we call instances. Instances, by the way, the word instance is used anytime you form a category about an activity or event or situation, each time you encounter that, it's a new instance, right? Whereas in stat, when you think about a static intelligence, we expect the, each instance to be replicable. In other words, you can do the same thing. You expect to see the same things happen. You can expect pretty much complete predictability. In dynamic intelligence, you learn to see that instances are partially, right, predictable. There's going to be enough. There's going to be enough. Um, continuity or invariance between situations so that you can put them in a category, but you're also going to respect that there's going to be new variations, right? Each time you encounter it. But anyway, that's a really important difference. But of course, in a chaotic situation, each time you encounter it, you have no idea what you're going to expect, right? It's random. So it's not the same, right? Um, now, Let's talk about then, so, so that's the difference between dy dynamic and chaotic. So dynamic situations have two things. There's two things that are critical in them. One is variability, right? And variability means that certain elements or certain aspects of those situations are going to vary, right? Maybe higher and lower and slower and faster and, you know, it's endless. Variation could be endless. Variation is everywhere. We live in a world of variation, don't we? Um, it's everywhere in your heart rate, in temperature, in the clouds, in, in the trees, you know, leaves in the trees, in traffic. 
wherever you are is, is variable. The key here is that we have to we have to be able to selectively attend to that type the variability that is significant to us or important to us at that point in time, right? Which can change. But if we try to attend to all variability in the universe, it would be impossible, wouldn't it? We'd just be flooded by things. We'd be overwhelmed by things. We have to be able to selectively attend through context, and we learn to do that through what I call frames, um, and to disregard, basically to either tune out or maybe appreciate sometimes the variability, but not to depend on it, right, for the invariance, not to depend on that for continuity. Anyway, um, so it's everywhere, right? We live in a dynamically variable world. That's that's the world. Now, we learn that we can treat certain moments in our lives, certain situations, activities, as if that was not true, right? That we can ignore variability completely, and that's where sort of static intelligence or static situations that we can treat things like they're static situations. But there are no such things as static situations, right? There's variability everywhere. But sometimes we can get away with, or sometimes it's preferable to try to tune out the variability and to focus on what is replicable, static. You know, when you learn math, 2 plus 2 is 4, and 4 plus 4 is 8, right? It's just endless versions. When you follow, when there's procedures you want to do, when you want to brush your teeth every day, you don't want to focus on the variability of your brushing your teeth or, or things like that, right? But on the other hand, um, in, if we get rid of all variability, there's not much reason to go on living, is there? Variability, you know, um, uh, continuity is sort of the background of life. Right. And most of us, most all of us, not only do we learn to manage the variability in dynamics in the dynamic world, but we like to we prefer to live in a world with some degree. Right. Of unpredictability and uncertainty. We like surprises on birthdays and other days, too. We we're willing to live with negative you know, surprises or unexpected events to experience feelings associated with the positive ones. I mean, you think about sayings like variety is the spice of life. You've got difference. And the reason these sayings ring true for most of the time is that we know that variation, the dynamic qualities of our life and the world, is what makes life worth living. And there's certainly times when we'd like to live for a while in a very routine, stable manner, eliminate all uncertainty. But if we really eliminated dynamic variation from our lives, we'd become pretty bored, depressed. Life would be pretty meaningful because variability is where our alive feelings come from, right? whether that's excitement, surprise, curiosity, discovery, mastery, or loss, rejection, hurt, failure. All of our important human experiences, what makes us human, are the product of our orientation and our engagement with dynamic variation, right? And so the idea of experience itself is defined by the ability, is defined by variability. If you're going to be aware of your feelings, and thoughts associated with a situation, it means that something stands out, something's happening, something's different, something's varying, right? And without variability, experiencing doesn't exist. There's nothing worth experiencing. There's nothing memorable, nothing happening, you know? Something becomes worth experiencing because it's attached to some different feeling, change in our feelings, change in our perceptions. So, you know, we want to live in a dynamically variable world. It's not about, so when we think about autism now and the problem with autism, and this is really important, 
it's not about learning just to handle variability. And, and from the very beginning, we need to focus on the idea that you building the motivation, we call it dynamic growth seeking, the motivation to want to engage with it, to be with it. It's really important. So it's not about surviving with it. It's about wanting to be there, wanting to, right? Not wanting to get rid of it, but to want to, you know, engage with it, to see it as part of what makes life worth living. Now, variability is not the same as change. And I said this last time, but I want to make it sure. And, and it's very important to make that distinction. All right. Change is when you move some element from one state to another. Something changes from one state to another. It can disappear. It can appear. It can be revised. It can be replaced. But let me think, let me tell you something. A clock, you know, if you, if you wind up a clock, let's say the old wind up clocks and they start ticking down, right? It's changing from second to second or just a clock ticking second by second by second is changing, right? But there's no variability. It's completely predictable, isn't it? Variability means you cannot predict dynamic variability exactly what is going to happen next. Okay? But it's not chaotic. So it's in the middle. But it's not just change. Five seconds from now is still going to be five seconds later, isn't it? And let me give you another example. I'm taking a hike in the mountains and my rate of walking speed, I can guarantee you, as I'm climbing up, is going to slow down. My rate is going to slow down. My speed is going to slow down. I can predict it. It's a steady state in a direction. So that's not variable. It's just change. So it's really important to make that distinction because it has to do with, again, predictability. It has to do with a world where there is some level of, you can sort of predict some, to some degree, but there's always going to be some unpredictability. That's variability. Okay, So it's a subset of change. It's not the same as change. So dynamic situations, we're talking about dynamic intelligence, are marked by ongoing variations that emerge out of the process of what happens in the world to you with another person. So they can't be predicted in advance. There are multiple variables that interact in such a way that you can't know exactly what's going to happen next. And part of that is your own actions that you take. Now, what keeps that from becoming chaotic is that two things. One is the concept of invariance, that even though there are variations, right? In other words, higher and lower and faster and slower, and you can imagine infinite number of variations, uh, there's a range of variation in dynamic situations. There's typically, not all the time, but almost all the time, we can expect that variations are going to stay in a situation, are going to stay within a certain limit, a certain range. Okay? So when we go into the doctor's office, we don't expect to see um, a dentist. <laughs> we don't expect to see a plumber. Right? We don't expect everyone to start dancing in a chorus line. Right? There's a range that we can expect. Now, we can turn a, something like that into a static situation, right, and only focus on the invariance, by the way. But there's a big loss when we do that, as we know with people with autism when they do it, okay? So the range can be, most of the time can be predicted, but at any single point in time, that variation will be part, emerging out of a process. So when we talk about dynamic variation, we're talking about a process. And as we're engaging with that process, right, there are going to be variations, some of which 
have partly due to what we do, maybe in the environment, the other person, right? There's a number of things that could be impacting it, right? And that can't be exactly predictive, except the range can. Now, when we talk about variability, it's really important to think about two types and situations. One is within a situation, how there's variance within a situation and there's variance between instances of like an activity or an event that we've put in a category, but in a dynamic category, we expect there to be differences and similarities. But let me talk about within a situation. You think about that. I'm going to use this example of peekaboo a lot. Very simple because it's one of the earliest ways that parents, without even realizing it, teach their children to recognize and enjoy dynamic variability. Right. So you think about in peekaboo, right? There, we keep, you know you repeat the the basic pattern over and over and over again within a situation, right? Right. There's the basic underlying invariance or continuity is from some some type of hiding and revealing, right? So that's within the situation. There's going to be that underlying invariance. And then within the situation, there's going to be a lot of variability, right? Sometimes I may be uh, a boo or peekaboo or ha, or I might hide my face or I might put a cloth on my face or, I'm, you know, the, the the goal, the, you know, there's no reason to play peekaboo if you're not going to add variation, right? <laughs> you're going to do it exactly the same way each time. It doesn't make any sense, right? So that's within a situation, right? I can expect that there's going to be a re- repetition of that pattern of hiding and revealing. Very simple, simple as you can be. Now, then when I initiate peekaboo, the next version of peekaboo, Maybe I won't start it the same way as last time. But the infants, if you look at infants, they can recognize that they're now, that you've now initiated peekaboo with them, right? There's a similarity from the last time you started playing peekaboo. Even if you start off in a very different way, well, not very different, but, but a different way than you did last time, they rapidly can recognize, even with the variation in your initiation, whatever, that it's the same type of activity. We call that a frame, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, so there's variability within a situation and between instances of situations. Okay. Now, I'm going to talk about, later I'm going to talk about the different frequency. When you introduce variability, uh, we can actually... um, and I'm developing a system where you can be very methodical, if you wish, on the different types of variability you can introduce. Let me just give you a little introduction of that. Okay, when you think about variability, we think about things that vary within a certain level. So you think about, um, you know, you can be um, faster, slower, okay? And again, there's going to be a range. Let's say you're varying your speed. Of movement, okay. So very simple, early way we do that, right? Well, one of the things is we learn in an activity is we learn to expect what we expect to vary and what we expect to have continuity from. But we also learn to expect how much variation we're going to have. Now that can be altered as we move along, but initially that's the frame. We learn to say, well, you know, I'm I'm going to go from this level of speed to this level of speed, and that's usually what we agree. It's a it's a, what we call a consensual frame because now we're talking about an interaction, right? 
we learn to expect that when we're together, by the way, and not necessarily when you meet with somebody else, frames can be, especially with infants, are very personalized, right, with the familiar people in their lives. So expect when you and me are together, it's going to be this range, right? Or when I put you up in there, it's going to be only to this level, right? Or I'm not going to do that level. But anyway, it depends on what we focus on. So um, there are a lot of factors that we can alter. So we can alter, for instance, the frequency, right? How much, how often are we going to vary something? You know, if we think about, what, when we think about the word dynamic, dynamic isn't always varying every second, is it? Because when we think about with between instances, between similar situations, I could be a situation, I didn't go to my, you know, six months ago I went to my dentist's office and I go back six months later and I notice some things are different, right? Some things are varied. Well, there may have been all kinds of variability <laughs> between that in the dentist's office, but I don't care because I haven't been there. So the frequency for me is six months. <laughs> On the other hand, if you're engaging with a child in a conjoint, in a personal activity, right, it's going to be much more frequent, right? It could be every few seconds, whatever. But you can manage that. You can, right, modify, adapt the, the frequency depending on what is optimal for that person. Along with the frequency, there's a clear, which is the number of variables. How many things are going to vary, right? So, very simple example, physical example, is how, you know, are we going to, how fast and slow our pace of walk, right? We can vary that. We can vary our physical contact, right? How close are we, or our or degree that we're going to be closer or farther from each other, or they're going to be holding on to the point where we're going to be farther away. I mean, there's a number of things, right? We can do the, so within that activity, there may be several variables, Things that change. And we have to be careful when we first start this, and we'll talk about this in a bit, that we be we, we are cognizant of that and make sure we're not trying to, that we don't accidentally or inadvertently start out with multiple variables, right? That's critical that we're going to do that, but, right? And similarly, there might be simultaneous things that are very big. One of the problems of the human face, right, is... Um, and, and, and interacting with a human being is your faces are varying, right, and dramatically. Your voice is varying, right? Your words are varying, um, right? My gestures are varying. So you think about someone who's face-to-face with you and why a child with autism, when you think about making eye contact, may not be a good idea face-to-face, is because you're immediately forcing them to deal with a world where there's multiple simultaneous variables. And so initially that's why we try to, you know, start out with side by side or where they, where they can look at our face, but they don't, you know, they're not forced to look at that until they develop the ability to manage simultaneous variables, which is much more difficult. Right. Now, the other thing is that there, so there's numbers of variables, there's how, how much at the same time, the frequency, is what I call range and diversity of variables. So um, let's look at diversity for a second, which is how many variations are there going to be, let's say, in an engagement. So um, 
I can say we're going to, with a certain variable, we're going to go a little bit slower, a little bit faster, right? We're going to have three different, you know, three different levels, <laughs> right? So it's not very diverse. You can either, it's either going to be slow, medium, or fast. We introduce central states. So that's only three. Now, it's still not predictable, right? You might say, well, there's only three states, but how do I know which state is going to happen at any moment? I might not, right? I don't, right? If I told you that, then it would be changed, but no dynamic variation, right? First, we're going to do this, then we're going to, you know. But even though there's only three different states, slow, medium, fast, the variability is still pretty high because we, we have no way to predict which one of those is going to happen next, right? So diversity means how many variations are possible. Now, Think about when we get a little more advanced with that and we move from what I call a digital model. Digital means, you know, you have very specific zero, one, two, right? But an analog model means there's a continuum. Think about a radio dial in the old radios where you could change, you could turn the stations and get a lot of static in between. And it was like a sort of an infinite number of variations that you could do. Well, when you're walking together, right? It's really, you can turn it into an analog event variability where there's an infinite number of fasters and slowers, right? A little bit this, a little, and, and what we want to do eventually is move from that digital to analog and to introduce children to an analog world of variability where there's little bits where it's more subjective and qualitative because that's the type of variability they're going to be encountering in the real world. Right, they're often not going to get either this or this or this. They're going to get a little bit more, a little bit less, a little bit higher, a little bit angrier, a little bit more upset, right, or less, and it's going to be in a continuum that has potentially a large range. Now, many times we will pick points in that range that are important, that are significant, because it's just too difficult. But it's important at some point we move that. So dynamic variability often is in an, what we call an analog format, okay? It's a continuum where you can, and that gives you a lot of degrees of freedom, doesn't it? So rather than in a static sort of rules and procedures where you, you're directed, you have to do it this way, this much, blah, 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 blah. In a dynamic, right, variability, dynamic situations, and we'll talk about dynamic frames, right, there might be a potentially unlimited degree as long as you stay within a certain range. But look at that. If you see a certain range, there could be an infinite number of little pieces in that range, can't there? Now, you wouldn't want to introduce that to a child initially, but eventually they're going to understand. We want them to learn that there is this space of variability. That, and they don't have to be afraid because there's one, there's an underlying continuity, underlying invariance, and then there's only a limited range, which we can then agree to expand, contract, whatever. Okay? So diversity is different. And it's another factor. Oops. Let me move along. Um, two more things I want to say about variability. One is volatility. Now, the way I'm defining volatility is, let's say I go, I'm right here, at, at, oh, I'm walking very slowly, and then suddenly I go walk very fast. And then, well, you know, it's it's that degree of right change, that degree of variation. That is more difficult, right, <laughs> to handle, um, and I can't predict it. 
So we don't have to start out with being that volatile, but eventually that happens. People suddenly change topics in a conversation, right? Things happen like that. Now, we're not talking about breaking the range yet. I'm not talking about the concept of emergence, which some of you may know, which is different. I'm talking about within that range, how much of the variability is going to be dramatically different from moment or from one, one variation to the next and how much would be more gradual, right? And these are things eventually, and I'll, I'll get this to you, that you can actually use to actually gradually develop that child's ability to handle and to enjoy dynamic variability by introducing these things and by recognizing that you want to do like piece by piece rather than inadvertently introducing too much of this. Um, another, so there's two more things. One is connectivity, which is when you get into multiple variables, and I'm not going to get into this right now much, um, they interact in funny ways, right? When there's multiple variables and you, and it makes things more complex, harder to predict. I'm not going to talk about today. We can talk about complexity next time if you're interested, right? Because that gets you into complexity. But today we're talking about simple dynamic situations, which is where we start in the RDI program. The last piece of, of, of a dynamic situation is a little bit different than variability. It's called emergence. And emergence is where is why, why I said we can almost always predict things are going to be within a range because in a dynamic situation, there are going to be moments, there are going to be times when something happens, something reaches a tipping point, and often we're not even aware it's getting there. And then there's what we call a nonlinear or more dramatic change that breaks the frame or breaks the range that we expected. Let's not talk about that today. We can talk about that next time as well, okay? Um, but those are variability factors. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but it's important to know those things. And I'll give you some more writing about that. Now, here's what's interesting. And it's interesting for parents to understand this, for you to be able to understand this. Infants become masterful in their dynamic world before they learn much of anything about their static world. All right. People say, well, we'll do RDI after we do ADA. It's the most stupid thing I've ever heard in my life. Right. Because if you look at first year, you look at any 10-month-old, 11-month-old, they don't know anything about procedures. They don't know anything about scripts. They don't know anything about those things. But they, they are continually introducing dynamic variability into their lives. They're continually demanding novelty and variation from you, right? And they're becoming more, I mean, they're not expert like adults, but they're becoming much more comfortable in a dynamic world. They wouldn't know how to function in a static world, Right. Um, so infants learn very early on, not maybe a month or so, because, you know, the very newborns have a real need for continuity. I mean, there's no invariance in their lives when you're born, right? So they have to develop at least a little bit of things that are not, are invariant before they get interested in variation, right? But what's interesting is they start to rec- very early start to recognize continuity in um, amidst dynamic variability. One of the first ways they do that, you can see it, is they see the continuity in the facial expressions of a parent. Right? They learn to recognize that and react differently to different facial expressions of parents a couple of months of age. Okay? So, uh, Dr. Alan Fogel, who you're all familiar with, described, I'm going to give you a quote of him, a critical breakthrough for infants during their first year is their increasing ability to perceive ongoing changes, he used the word changes, I use variability, in their environment 
while maintaining the experience of continuity. As infants learn that they can successfully engage with more types of variability, it rapidly becomes the most powerful spice that motivates their dynamic growth. Look at any nine-month-old, 10-month-old, 11-month-old, and they are in a continual, unless they're very upset, hungry, you know, uh, uh, depleted, they're in a continual quest for variability, right? Continual. Drives you, it, it exhausts you. Right? And, and we'll make that contrast with future ASD infants. There's a real contrast. And even before they have much motor control, thinking about six month olds, they're still directing their efforts to engage in dynamic situations that increase the potential for them to encounter novelty and variability. Right? And one way, of course, they learn to get better at this is through what we call the early infant games. I like to use peekaboo and, but they so, you know, all, we all have very many different versions of them. We, you know, the kids, the infants on our lap and we move them forward and back and pull them back and forth. And uh, there's millions of versions of this, but let's talk about peekaboo. Peekaboo is interesting because infants get interested and motivated for it even before they are motorically able. Even, like, even before they can really do anything with their body, which is really interesting, right? So their sort of mental process of it is developing before their ability to physically engage with you in peekaboo, right? Right. So again, the continuity, right? The underlying continuity, which is critical in a, in a dynamic situation that makes it not chaotic, is from its elements of hiding and revealing. It's one of the simplest, right? <laughs> right? Invariances. No matter whether we use our hands, cloths, whatever. And so the first the infant has to recognize that continuity, and maybe four months of age they can do that, some you know, earlier, later. But once they do that, then they're not interested anymore. They don't focus on that. Right? And that's the key. It's once you recognize the, the continuity, it becomes in the background. Right? You don't really, you're not really interested in it. What you're interested in is the variability. Right? So the infant's attention is shifting to the introduction of what we, what the parent introduces, right? Right? Whether it's differences in their voice, or their face, or hiding, or cloth, or their hands, whatever. That was where the excitement is. That's where the attention is directed. Right? So that's what's memorable to them, the surprising variations. Now, Initially, if you're too surprising, <laughs> you add too much, or you're too fast, think about all those levels of variability, too volatile, um, too many variations, they're, they're going to turn, they're going to, they're going to start gaze avoidance, you'll, which you'll see. And, you know, I have a, uh, I, I used to show a good version of that with Emma, a little infant, where her dad at four months, and this happens, this is how you learn as a parent, at four months was introducing too, too fast. And she started to avoid gaze. She stopped being interested. And then that's sort of a feedback to help you <laughs> figure out what's the optimal level, right? And then, of course, as they get better, that changes. That continues to grow, and they, they want more and more. Not only can they handle more and more, they want more and more volatility. They want more variables. They want more of those aspects of it. They're learning to deal with They're learning to live in a dynamic world. So they want more and more of the surprises and all those aspects of variability, right? Now, there's two things that allow typically developing infants to thrive in a dynamic world. Probably more than two, but these are two. First is the formation of what I call dynamic experiential activity or event categories. 
and memories and categories, right? That, um, you know, if you think about the way we organize experiences, we have infants and all of us, we have to categorize things. Otherwise, everything is in a discrete place in our brain. There's no similarity. There's nothing we can learn, right? We have to take things that are actually discriminately different and treat them like they're the same, put them in the same category, right? And infants learn to look for, typically developing a significant invariance across situations. They start, they, they, they do that. And they're born with that capability early on, develop it. They learn to recognize similar and different dynamic events and activities as members of the same category based on forming, forming what scientists or psychologists call a schema, right? Or we, I call it a frame, but <laughs> sort of an underlying invariance that is important. So infants form what we call dynamic categories. And what I mean by dynamic as opposed to static, in a static category, they also can form static set of categories, but in set of categories, you're basically eliminating the variability. What you're remembering there, what you're, what you're doing is, is sort of saying, every time I go here, I expect this, 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 this. Every time I go here, I expect this, 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 right? Um, I'm, or I do this, 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 this. You're looking only for replicability in a static category. All right? So a formula or an algorithm, or it could be very complex, that you're going to apply each time. That's what you're saving. That's what the category is. Things that you can expect to do replicable. In a dynamic category, you're looking for an underlying, right, continuity and variance, but you're expecting that each iteration, each instance, is going to have some variation, right? Right? So it's different. And what that means, and the big difference is, if you're in a dynamic category, you're able to look at a novel situation, something that's different, and say, well, it's sort of like this one, right? It's not replicable, it's not, but it sort of has some similarity there. So it gives you a starting point, which is why by seven months, infants crave novelty. And my future ASD kids don't crave novelty, but that's a different issue. So the first is categories. Forming dynamic categories, again, maybe static as well, but let's just talk about dynamic categories. And the second, which is similar, is developing a type of knowledge, use the word schema, or knowledge that's very internalized, very implicit, right? It's not external, you can't talk, they obviously aren't going to talk about it, which we call frames. Alan Foe will use use that term, you've all probably read that as part of your training. And with the structure, right, of static situations, is provided by rules and procedures, right? And they de- tell us, they direct us, they designate the moves that we can and cannot make, as well as moves we must make at certain times or under certain conditions. So if you're playing Monopoly, you can only place houses or hotels on an own Monopoly when it's your turn if you have the cash, right? However, before ending your turn, you must roll the dice, <laughs> right? That's Monopoly, right? So... They have rules and procedures give you a, a, allow for a very limited or, or non degree of freedom. And variations that deviate from that are considered undesirable. So let me, let me, it's a very important distinction because I'm not saying, by the way, when we get to autism, we'll talk about that, that people with autism can't handle any variability. But the motivation is that variability is undesirable. We try to, you try to eliminate it. You try to reduce it. You try to avoid it. 
as much as possible, which means you don't learn from it because variability is where we learn so much, right? So you can you play Monopoly, and Monopoly, you, you say, no, no, you can't do that. The rule says this and this, so you, it's undesirable, right? You learn social scripts. When kids learn social scripts, that's what they're learning, right? Don't do that. You know, they're not learning this whole range of things within the social situation that are great, in fact, that make the social situation, the interpersonal situation interesting, they're learning, here's what you can do, here's what you can do, here's when you do, the, you know, they're learning the static structure. But you see dynamic situations, and, and here's the interesting thing. In their first year of life, typically developing infants are not learning those things. Try to see if any of your typically developing infants learn about rules and procedures in <laughs> 10-month-old. Try. No, but they learn frames already. They can recognize, Right. They can, they can expect a repeating pattern, a repeating continuity. They can expect, they can recognize a situation from one instance to another, and they can get very good at that, right? So that's the key right there. And, of course, that has to do with categories as well. Um, so frames have four critical functions, but let's just talk about a, a couple of them right now. First of all, when you learn framing knowledge, they tell you where to look for the continuity, where to look for the invariance, what's going to be invariant, Right? So they give you an underlying structure so that you don't have chaos, right? That's what might make it dynamic, right? You learn that there's going to be continuity, and you also learn what the range of variability you should expect, how much variation you expect to, to find in this category of an activity or an event. But remember, within that range, there can be a lot of acceptable options, right? Okay. But because they're not rules, because they're not governed like that, they give you a, much more in the way of degrees of freedom, right, of action. So you can have um, both personal and shared. You can explore. You can experiment. You can innovate. You can improvise. You can expand, right? You can grow. They're essential for growth. Now, the price, there is a price to pay for greater degrees of freedom because you then have to exert more mental effort to judge sort of the degree of fit, uh, fit with each move you make with the conditions of the situation, right? What's optimal? You're not given a program to, you know, if this, do this, if this, do this. So there's more mental effort. And, you know, infants aren't very good. <laughs> we start to learn. That's one of the things we learn with dynamic intelligence is that best fit. All right. So that's too, so they, they give you the underlying structure so you don't feel chaos, but they allow you that degrees of freedom, Right. And they give you contextual information about what should be considered meaningful, what's central, what's peripheral. And again, because they're generalized from multiple instances, multiple cases, they allow us to rapidly look in, we start to look at novel situations. One of the things that allows infants, even at seven months, to desire novelty is their ability to rapidly see in a novel situation similarity with their prior experiences. They don't want novelty if there's no similarity. So, we, you know, we've got to be careful here when we say infants want novelty. It's not absolute, and the research shows that. It's novelty within some degree of recognizing there's a frame, that some anchor to their prior experience. If you changed everything up, they're not going to like that. They don't want that. Nobody wants that. When you go to a foreign country, the, without, whether you realize not, the first thing you do is you look for familiarity. And you can't enjoy the change, the differences, the variations until you do that, until you find some anchor with your prior experience. Otherwise, you feel chaotic. You feel overwhelmed. Infants learn to do that by seven months of age. But, of course, 
in a simpler version, right? <laughs> not, not the degree of a foreign country, right? So that's why we have frames. And that's why um, frames are going to be so important when you're working with parents, when you're working as consultants, right? Because frames are and categories, by the way, both dynamic categories. And by the way, let me go back to dynamic categories because this has to do with learning. Often we'll think we'll have a great session with a child, a parent, and we'll think, oh, isn't that wonderful? And then it doesn't look like anything's changed or there's not been any growth, as a, you know, as, even after this wonderful session. Everybody's confused. Well, you know, learning is about what is stored, what changes here in the, in the brain, <laughs> in that category. Is that instance, uh, does that expand the category? Does it change it? Does it add a new instance to it? Right. And so unless we can see, unless we evaluate whether something has happened for that infant where it's memorable, right, in a way we want it to be memorable, we hope it to be memorable, we can have all kinds of things going on in behavior and they have no, there's no value to them. It's one of the reasons very early on that we want to focus on not just having an experience but managing that experience, helping that child to represent in some way that experience and store it in a way that is going to be valuable for them, that is going to lead to growth. Okay. And categories, of course, are critical for them. Anyway, um, so when parents are ready, and again, when we start RDI, the first step is we have to get through acceptance, <laughs> belief, commitment, we have to help them with the myths. We have to help them to understand their new role. There's a lot of things we need to help them with before we actually introduce this. But once they're ready, the first thing they're going to do with their child is they're going to start to activate growth-seeking, dynamic growth-seeking motivation. What we know is what we believe in our model with um, future ASD infants or children now who you see who have been diagnosed is that they haven't. It's not that they're incapable of seeing dynamic variability, of developing frames, of um, recognizing invariances, but early on in their development, in the first year, they shut that off. For whatever their vulnerabilities were, the world was too confusing. The world, the environment they were in was too overwhelming, and they were unable to continue to grow in their capacity to perceive, to recognize those invariances, to recognize the continuity between situations, within situations, and instead of wanting more and more and more of it gradually, they start to avoid it. They start to become passive, right? They don't explore in a productive way. They don't want to initiate those simple games because those simple games, whether parents realize or not, are how we introduce dynamic variability to children, to infants. That's what they're for, <laughs> right? And so why do they not want to engage? Well, unless, and unfortunately, maybe they might even train parents to play peekaboo or games in an invariant way suddenly, right? If you think about how, children, how infants do condition their parents, which is what they all do, but typically developing infants condition them to sort of optimize how much it's going to increase, right? Whereas if an in future autistic infant might 
condition their parents to not introduce variability, which is really hard to do. I don't know if you can even do that. But to do it exactly the same way each time without even knowing it, that you're doing that, right? So um, so what we're going to do is we have to introduce simple frames, activity frames, to a child, person who may be averse to that initially, may, may be averse to variability, right, from infancy on, may have been focused on what we call stability maintaining rather than dynamic growth seeking. They never have experienced, even as, you know, as an infant on, the enjoyment of dynamic growth seeking, which is what, how we thrive, how we grow. It, it gives the meaning to life. By the way, if you ever wonder why the suicide rate is so high for adults with autism, why the depression is over 50%, think about someone who doesn't experience dynamic growth seeking. Right, whose life is around stability maintaining. I mean, that's one issue. There's other issues like feeling like you're a failure, no self-efficacy, you know, um, having to. There's a million, but that's really one factor. Without the sense of growth, the potential for growth, and the excitement of it, life doesn't have much meaning. Right? You're just going through the motions. So that's something to focus on. But anyway, so. What, when parents are ready, they begin dynamic intelligence, working on dynamic intelligence, because simple dynamic intelligence, right? And we, you know, we talk about managing that initial resistance. We expect with at least a good portion of the kids we see, for good reason, and parents need to understand that. They're initially not going to want to be excited about it. And the other thing parents have to understand is we're not interested in them complying with it. You know, if we do a simple back and forth... I don't care if they, if compliance, if they just go through the motions and comply, we've got nothing. We have to build up the intent, because the, the, the first thing we're working on is growth-seeking motivation. We're not interested in skill. Because growth-seeking opens the door to everything in growth, right, in, in a dynamic world. All learning. And if you don't have growth-seeking motivation, first of all, you're not going to want to be involved in an experience guiding relationship. And you're not going to grow. You're not going to want to be in the dynamic world because it's you got to work in a dynamic world. And, you know, there's got to be a payoff. The payoff is in the variability, isn't it? Is in the surprises, is in the things you learn, and is the excited, it's the excitement. So there's going to be initial resistance in a good number. And parents are going to learn. You're going to help them, parents, deal with the idea that um, there's a different, there's a third way between following that child's lead, whatever that means, and directing that child, you know, uh, you know, demanding performance or requiring performance. We don't, we're not interested in that. We, we're interested in creating experiences. Now, experience, what I call the guiding relationship, is an experience-guiding relationship. Because you're trying to guide the child to have experiences that are growth-promoting experiences. So one of the first growth-promoting experiences is the idea that I can participate with you in a simple dynamically variable activity and feel agency. Feel not feel like, and feel not that something's being done to me or that I'm having to do something, but that I've volitionally taken an action, right? That maintains this process. Remember, we're talking about a process. There's not an end point, right? We're not talking about a goal. And parents have to move away from the idea that there's no matter what activity, there's some end point or some performance. It's maintaining a process, a simple dynamic process, right? So, so you might have noticed one of the things we do is we might create a state of imbalance with that child where we pull 
to the side, and right there's an imbalance, and we just stay there for a while, right, with both of us like this. And there's a natural inclination to restore balance in human beings, by the way. And the child will move us back. And you go that way, and you know some variation of that. And what it's doing is the child is experiencing that they are not a victim of it. There's two things. One is that it's simple. They can understand it. We're not introducing lots of variations, which is why we're not talking at the same time. right? We're not necessarily neutral, but we're not you know, giving enormous expressions, right? And that the child can have, have agency. It's through their actions that we, right, become balanced again, right? So the variation and, the, and back to the, right, initial state. So there's a lot of um, variations on that theme, Right? when we manage resistance. But you see how that illustrates the key issues. Introduce a simple variation and use our natural inclination for the child, for a person to want to act volitionally so they can then experience themselves as having to act in co-regulating, right? Varying, co-regulating, and then we might do it again. Eventually, of course, we would let them do it within the range. Now, initially, you don't want to have children... Um, you have to be careful about it, letting them have the variability early because they don't understand frames yet. And they might do something completely outside the frame. Then you have to get negative experience. But as quickly as possible, you want to introduce their ability to add variation as well but within those limits. So, we, you know, we manage initial resistance. We explain to parents we expect that. Right? So it's not a surprise. And we tell them why because it's our model of autism. It's why the guiding relationship doesn't form. It's why growth-seeking doesn't become dominant. And why stability-maintaining stays dominant, right? Because they never get to see that they can, never get to experience that they can function in a dynamic world, right, with agency, with excitement. They always see it as overwhelming. And thanks for joining us for Autism, A New Perspective. The podcast show where we help you understand what is going on in the mind of your child. And we encourage you that growth for your child is possible. I'm Kat Lee. See you next time.